world, and welcome to episode 14 of the Pig Bike Podcast. Who would ever thought we'd get this far? Episode 14 already. I'm here with Casimir, as usual. Casimir, how's it going? I'm going, it's going well. Doing how well. Many, how many times did you ride bikes on the weekend? Uh, I rode all the days. Yeah, all the days. We, we drove to Silver Mountain, Idaho, so I rode oh, yeah. some chairlifts. We're going we're gonna to talk about Idaho a bit coming up. First, Jimmy, with the news, how are you? How's it going over in England? Uh, yeah, I'm good. The pubs are back open, so uh, life, cool. life's returned to normal. We're all good. Back, back to normal. Riding? Are you riding your steel single-speed dirt jump bike down to the pub to get a warm beer and some, I don't know, whatever. Hot scratchings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bangers and mash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. And I'm Mike Levy, your host, as always. Uh, guys, did you hear about Bentonville being the world capital of mountain biking? I heard about it. I'm yeah, yeah, I did not hear about sure it. I agree with that. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if I agree with it either. But I like their positive attitude. You yeah, like, it's good to have aspirations. Right, fake it till you make it. Right. Have you guys oh, ridden no. there? No, I I haven't ridden there. I've ridden a lot of places as of Casimir in our in our world travels, uh, which sort of brings us to my opening question, Casimir. Out of all the places in the world that you've ridden, all over America, a bunch of Canada, all over Europe. Uh, I think you've even ridden in parts of Asia, South America, yeah, uh, Africa. No, I haven't ridden in Africa yet. Did, I thought you went there for a thing, a specialized thing. Uh, no, anyway. we're supposed to, but we decided that Africa was really far away to go to a Yeah, <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Out of all those places, Kaz, do you have a place that you feel that it's your capital of mountain biking, the favorite place you like to ride? I mean, I, it's my favorite place to ride probably down in Chile, like Nevados de Chian. That place is amazing. They have cool dirt. They have a really N- cool Nevado State de Chian. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Yeah. It's a, it's a ski area in the wintertime and then they got a bike park in the summer, but yeah. Um, is there, That's that anti-grip. They, they do the enduro races down there. Is that where that is? Yeah. Down there. Oh uh, yeah. It's the anti-grip isn't quite there. That's more closer to like Santiago, but either way, like Chile is yeah. a really cool place to visit. And I'd say, I mean, calling some place a capital of the world is, is kind of silly, as we know. But uh, a place that I would love to spend more time is definitely down yeah. there. In, uh, why, why do you like the trails there? What are they like? They're just, they're hard to describe. But like there is a whole a cool mix of trails from, you know, natural stuff. And they had some kind of man-made things. Um, mm-hmm. Just the scenery is beautiful. And just the people are so excited about mountain biking. Like the everybody that I met was just like wanted to ride, wanted to show off the trails. Um, yeah. So, yeah, even outside of Santiago, which is... Uh, more north than Nevados. There's a bunch of fun kind of yeah, yeah. steep shuttle trails there. And yeah, just a really cool place to hang out. Bit of a commute for the rest of the world, but it sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to be cliche as well. So I went to Whistler for the first time last year and Whistler was like, it just blows not everywhere else out the terrible. water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not terrible. I don't think we need to explain that one anymore. I think for me it would be uh, the Southwest in the States, like that deserty stuff. I like that. It's just it's so different and interesting, obviously, from where we grew up here in the Pacific Northwest. Like Sedona-y, but like, I'd like to spread my wings a little bit in that area, but around there. I like. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's why it's kind of funny. Whenever someone says they're the mountain bike capital of the world, like, there's so much good mountain biking around the world, you shouldn't just have one capital. It's so you different. Know, yeah, like, Moab's great, but that's not the same as Squamish, and that's not the same as, you know... Um, some place in, I don't even know, another cool place. So. It's almost like every place is special in their own unique yeah. way. Yeah. There is some yeah. bad mountain biking, though. But. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely there is yeah. some bad mountain biking. We don't have to. We, don't we won't have to go, go into those ones. Out, yeah. No. Yeah. You know what we do have to go over, though? 
the news. Yeah. James, take it away. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Um, so I think it's safe to say that long travel single crown forks are back, although now not necessarily for free ride bikes, but for enduro race bikes and e-bikes. Um, I say this because um, not only have we had the Fox 38, but now the RockShox Zeb. Um, so this is a 38mm stanchion fork. You can have up to uh, 190mm of travel, and it comes in at just under a grand for the ultimate. Um, one thing that obviously attracted a lot of name uh, their attention was the name. We all remember the totem. What do we think of the name Zeb? Yeah, now it's a Zeb. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of funny whenever you have a just a random name for a fork like what do you call a fork like besides a 38 36 like those you know instead of a number you have to just pick some random i don't I think don't people realize how hard it is to come up with product names as well too there's there's entire departments at companies that do this yeah Lawyers sometimes you, you might and, yeah you might have a fork name and then you don't renew the you know the trademark or whatever someone else takes it so I don't know. either way it's called the zeb i don't mind the name it kind of I'm, yeah i'm fine with it you're you're riding this fork aren't you casmer Yep. Yeah, I wrote it all weekend. So can, now can I ask you? I need to ask you a question. Uh-huh. You're you. What are you like? You're 160 pounds ish or so. Yeah. You're not a slow rider. You like to do the jumps and the dorps. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, how does it? Does it feel stiffer steering wise, torsionally than a lyric to you? Yeah, you, I can tell. Like same same with the 38. I don't think I could tell the difference between a 38 and a Zeb. Maybe like, but they don't. Both of those feel stiffer than their respective next uh, yeah. product down. Like a 38 feels stiffer than a 36 and. The Zeb feels stiffer than a Lyric. Okay, one one more question. 190 mils of travel, single crown fork, 38 mil stanchions. Stiffness compared to a boxer for me. Uh, I think the boxer is still going to feel stiffer. Yeah, I haven't tried a 190 version of a Zeb. Um, I don't know if I've ever ridden a 190 single crown fork. So, yeah, I've just been on the 170 version of both of these. There's not really Manitou, a of... back in the day. No, I, didn't I don't have think that. it was, it was one Travis. No. Yeah, it was like a <laughs> yeah. 170 maybe is as big as it got. Yeah. So... And it was a noodle. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so these forks are definitely plenty stiff. And, and I, I don't, you were, you were mentioning my weight. I don't think that necessarily lighter riders need them, but you can benefit from that stiffness, like going into a hard turn or just, yeah. you know, when it's rough, it's just less getting deflected less. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to your full length Zeb review and reading the comments where everybody says that you're too skinny to. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> everyone gets mad because I'm skinny. I'm sorry. If I was fat, everyone would get mad because I'm fat. So I don't know what to do. But I'm just going to stick with this same weight that I've been since I was like 14 and go with yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, back when I reviewed the Matic, when the Matic came out, I did a like a three uh, kind of view review where I got a bigger guy to ride it as well, too. And he gave me some feedback. So I don't know. Maybe that's something we could we could talk about but yeah and we do have other riders i mean a lot of people don't know that there's other riders that we talk to and often we pass on test products to other right uh, others besides ourselves it's not always just me so especially for reliability testing a lot of times we need to put with wheels and suspension especially a ton of miles on stuff so we'll we ride stuff see what feels we give it to somebody who's going to put a ton of miles on it give them to them maybe they break it maybe they don't we get it back we ride it see what happens so kaz you also have the evil reckoning I did. I just rode it for two days. It was a, a quick, just enough time to kind of a first ride. And then I gave it back to them because they needed it for other people. Right. James, tell me about this thing. Yeah. So I think we first saw this in Rotorua. Uh, Austin Warren was riding it, but with um, a boxer on the front. Um, I guess that was just for sort of racing there. Um, but this bike is uh, an update of the Reckoning. Five millimeters more real travel, um, revised geometry, and it now has a uh, super boost spacing. Um, Kaz, was it significantly different from the last one? 
Um, I didn't actually ride the last one. Yeah, so I can't really, don't really have much to compare it to, but I can compare it to other bikes that I've been kind of riding recently. I mean, it does have, you know, it's a long travel 29er, but... We did try to get the last one, didn't we, just for the record? Yeah, we just had had, had trouble getting bikes to review from, from Evil. I, um, I just want to note that because there's always those comments like pb hates evil we just literally like we've tried to get test bikes and we haven't been able to yeah get them. like one we have yeah we review what we can what we have on hand and yeah. so anyways either way though i got to ride this one which is good it's always fun to check out a new bike uh it kind of has a more for how big the travel is it doesn't feel like a, a big bike you'd almost overgrown trail bike it's more than that but it's not it's not a downhill bike either it's just kind of they got short chain stays you know a little longer reach but it more feels like it wants to goof off and get sideways rather than just straight up plow everywhere does Super Boost make it a better bike? Again, I didn't read. I didn't ride the last one, so maybe it adds some stiffness. It definitely makes the comment section go off and <laughs> more on fire. <laughs> like, <laughs> Super Boost makes people angry, but for people that don't, uh, that aren't familiar, it's basically just twelve by one fifty-seven millimeter spacing. So the same spacing that you would find on a downhill bike. It is inconvenient if you already have a wheel set with different um, with different spacing because most trail and enduro bikes these days are twelve by one forty-eight spacing. Mm-hmm. So it's a little inconvenience there. Mm-hmm. I'm still not sure where it's going to go. Like the only companies, it seems like Superboost is ending up on companies that use Dave Weagle suspension designs. I'm not Pivot. sure if there's yeah. a correlation there. But you've got DaVinci, Pivot, now Evil. Those are the three I can think of off the top of my head. And those all use DW suspension designs, correct? Am I right yeah. on that? Yeah. 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 So I don't Some know. Sort of dual link things. Something going on there. Yeah. Or yeah. split Pivot in the case of... Uh, yeah da vinci so i don't know i'm not sure what's happening there but either way it's it's around but we haven't seen like a wholesale adoption of it yet do you do you remember when specialized downhill bike went back to 135 mm-hmm. was it yeah so it could yeah. be skinnier and like go through the rocks and not catch yeah. on stuff now it's still yeah. just the demos 148 which i think it's good if everything could just be the same so i don't know whatever one they want to pick just yeah, then i could put damn. my like my trail bike wheels can go on a downhill bike if i just need one in a pinch or vice versa you know just yeah it's easier if you only have to have one they might tell you that's not optimal. Probably not, but yeah. it'll be okay. So That doesn't equal no compromises, Casimir. I know. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> compromises are just helpful. But right. either way, new reckoning. Um, yeah, it's going to, they have a loyal fan base and it's got all the travel and all the things. You can get it with a Zeb and you get a push coil shock on it. So kind of you can build it up how you want. You can put a dual crown fork and have it as your park bike, which I bet it's pretty Zeb. fun. Like the, uh, moving away from uh, new products, um, we saw of a sort or a return of racing or, or not racing, as the case may be. Um, so, Win Masters and Marcus Peckel organised this um, this sort of pre-season test event in Schladming. Um, it, as you know, there was there was a timed element to it, but it wasn't racing. And I don't know; it's starting to look like this could be the closest we get to World Cup racing all year. Did you guys follow it um, closely? Not closely, no. I just looked at the pictures of the bikes and some of the race reports it looked like a fun time but i thought it was you know it was cool and we got to see um a bit of new tech as well uh we saw the new cube downhill bike there and this new gamux um bike as well that gamux yeah, thing thought... looks neat doesn't it i like the way that thing looks yeah so it wasn't the prettiest in my eyes but it's cool it seems like that company's doing a lot with 3d printed stuff so kind of interesting they can just print links apparently and Casimir's obviously less excited than i am but i think it looked neat yeah <laughs> I just don't like the humped top tube. Yeah, maybe that's why I like it. It reminds me of the old like KHS Dominatrix Nutcracker top yeah. tube. Which you know, I don't you know s- found memories of that. So. <laughs> <laughs> you you slip, slip a pedal, you just land on the top tube. And my buddy Wayne peed blood for like three weeks. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, on the flip side of that, uh, Lenza Hyde and Leger both got cancelled. So we're now looking at pretty much October before any racing, and that'll be Novi Mesto for the XC and the World Champs in Leergang for the downhill guys. Is it time to give up on, on racing this year? I feel like it's getting pretty close to being time. I don't know. It's not looking good, especially for people being able to travel once these things start. Like how, At least for us, for people that are in America, I don't think we can go anywhere. No one wants us in their country. So I don't know. I'm not optimistic about racing happening this year, but hopefully it does. Yeah, we'll see. Moving on then, Whistler uh, is open and uh, we went down and took our annual survey. So surveyed more than 250 riders um, to get a feel for what people are riding. This is uh, another kind of pink bike bro science, um, but there were some uh, some interesting stats um, that I, I saw. So more women than ever. Now a quarter of riders uh, Whistler opening day were women. 27.5 inch wheels still the most popular wheel size flats still dominant but um clipless getting more popular and the big surprising one for me was that um more people were riding tubes than tubeless um and it seems that's that's gone up since last year part of me is surprised but part of me isn't too like if you're you know a casual rider and you're there for the weekend and you get a flat tire and i think a lot of people just you know put a tube in and pump it up too hard and hit the trails again maybe i don't know i mean yeah it might have been just more locals that never switched their like they might have got flats last year and then put tubes back in instead of doing tubeless i don't know that number seemed strange i don't quite believe it but if my tubeless doesn't work i don't ride basically like (laughs) i don't remember how to ride a bike with a tube in the especially in the rear tire that's an instant pinch flat i'll pinch flat before i leave the garage probably kaz when was the last time you did a ride with a tube installed uh Oh, last, oh, I actually got a flat like three weeks ago. Yeah. And I had to put a tube in. Yeah. Actually, now that I mentioned it, we're going we're gonna to talk about some field test stuff maybe in this episode or maybe in the near future. But I did have a, I have a, a wheel issue, a cracked rim that required a tube. But we'll, we'll talk about that later. So I did ride with some tubes. Yeah. Lately. Mine happened in the pouring rain and the sun was basically set. So it was a really good time. Uh, yeah. Mountain biking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, one of the most popular things on the website uh, was the return of um, Shimano SPD sandals. Yes. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that they exist. <laughs> this is what happens when you make bum bags cool again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for those that don't know, I pretty much live in sandals. I walk, like I do every trade show in sandals. I spend like 10 hours a day in sandals. I bet I only wear shoes for two months of the year. I think this is great. You're crazy if you mountain bike in them. You're going to lose a toenail, of course. But I think they're neat. Who are they? You know, you, you'd wear them when you're doing your bike trip through Vietnam, or you're 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 going to the grocery store on your cargo bike, and you want to clip in for some reason. That's what you do them for. Definitely cargo shorts with them too. If you're on your cargo yeah. bike, you need cargo shorts and and a cargo hat. Yes, like it doesn't have <laughs> pockets, but you know the hats that go with the cargo shorts. Basically, uh-huh. you just dress like a dad. Yeah, you'd pull up white socks, really high. Yeah. Short shorts, like just short enough that like your balls almost hang out of them, you know? <laughs> yeah, it can fully embrace this this style. It seems nice. Yeah. I like that they exist. When they first came out or when they were first, I remember when they came out originally back 25 years ago yeah. and the same, there was the same uproar of everyone saying they're horrible and dorky and dumb, but they definitely have a loyal following. And I could see, yeah, if you're on a big bike tour or something and, or just bike packing or something where the yeah. not as many rocks, they're probably comfy. And it's a, it's a novelty. It's a yeah. novelty thing. I remember the shop that I started working at more than 20 years ago now had multiple pairs of them in stock when I started working there. Mm-hmm. They might still have them. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they do. I'm going to go get a pair. 
Um, we've touched on it already, uh, but yeah, Bentonville has named itself the mountain bike capital of the world. Um, this is obviously sort of a, a sort of trademark thing that they've bought, like you said, Kaz. And you know, there, there's no doubt that the Waltons, the the brothers, that do they own Walmart? Um, they're heirs to the Walmart, like their father, grandfather. I don't know the exact family lineage. They're related. Walmart. So they're they're involved. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they've they've put a lot of resources into mountain biking uh, in that town, which is where the Walmart headquarters are. But yeah, I, I think, as we already said, it's a bit of a stretch, isn't it, calling it the capital of the world? Yeah, but it's got us talking about, we've mentioned Bentonville yep. way more than any other town in this uh, podcast already, so it's kind of working. And it, they do, to be fair, they do uh, have a pretty extensive trail network now, and the whole town's embracing mountain biking. So there are good things going on in Bentonville. We don't want to be too harsh on them, but it's just funny when everyone, whenever a place like that makes such a huge kind of, you know, out there claim, but either way, it is great to see a town embrace mountain biking to the extent that they have. Yeah. And the riding there looks awesome. Kaz, you're there. You're in America. You could go there. Yeah. That's the other side of America. America's pretty big. Yeah. You can go there. You're allowed to go there though. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I could check it out tomorrow and let me know. (laughs) It takes more than a day to drive there. America's big. Oh yeah. You could, you could bike commute and wear those sandals. I could. I got the sandals. <laughs> I could test them by pedaling across the country. And you could take Brian's uh, cargo e-bike thing. Yeah. Use those sandals. Matt Rag also uh, went to visit Nico Rulio and saw his old kind of son, Radical uh, World Champs bike. At the time, obviously, it was, you know, super futuristic. I think you can sort of see the, the blueprint of modern downhill bikes in that one. Really, really cool piece. And also just really cool how... Uh, yeah, how how analytical Julio was and when it is about bikes and setup and stuff like that. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. I mean, I think that was in the heyday of racing for Casimir and I when we were, well, when I was anyway, when I was following racing. So for me, that was just amazing to see that bike. You, I don't know, like it's, it'd be the equivalent of, you know, some rare car or some rare plane or something like that. Just to see and hear it and know the history behind it is pretty neat. Yeah, I always like seeing what Nico does. Just he's such a, a tinker and just super analytical. And yeah, his bikes have always been worth taking a closer look at. I would love to ride that thing. Yeah, that'd be pretty fun. Try that versus a new bike and see. Levy, one last thing. Um the field test. Is it wrapped? Are you done? Finally? I'd, <laughs> I'd like to tell people that it is wrapped. I'm getting a lot of questions and messages asking me where the hell the field test stuff is. So there's been a bit of a delay with some weather and some technical issues and stuff, but we pretty much wrapped up this weekend. We filmed our judgment videos uh, and we filmed the efficiency tests. Now you spent all this time on those bikes. It seems like five months you've been testing Too much them. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are there any of them? Is there one that you would buy out of all those with your own money? Oh boy, I feel like I'm not supposed to say yet. Brian, Brian, our main boss, our supreme editorial overlord, would get angry if I spoiled the surprise. But would I buy? There might be one that I would buy, but I mean, they're all so expensive. I don't know. Expensive. Yeah, yeah. It. I guess that question sort of brings us to our our discussion, though. And I wanted to ask you guys. What bike you would buy if you got kicked out of the industry? So obviously right now, if we want to buy a bike, we're in the industry. And a big plus of that is that we get to buy parts at sort of what a bike shop would pay, you know, usually like wholesale-ish level. Um, So we can buy some, we could buy some fancy stuff. But what if you got kicked out and you had to buy retail stuff? What if you had to buy bikes and parts at retail pricing? Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Become an extra I, smart shopper. 
Yeah, exactly. I, well, we'd have to be. And I, yeah. I think right now we're sort of, I mean, we're obviously jaded and we're spoiled. And in my garage, I have nine or 10 of the latest, greatest cross-country bikes that I can pick. And they have access and carbon wheels and things. And I tell you what, I wouldn't buy any of that stuff if I had to use my own money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and this kind of ties in for people that didn't catch it. We have been doing a little series called um, Spend or Save, where we kind of focus on where you should spend your money and where you should save. And the focus is, you know, on bikes that are able to handle somebody that's going to ride hard, ride all the time. These aren't your very first mountain bike. No, no. So let's pretend all three of us are looking for a new trail bike and we're, we're buying stuff at retail pricing. Um, Casimir, I'm going to ask you first, I want to know your priorities with the bike. What is your goal? What's the priorities with this thing? Tell me in brief, is this like a trail bike for pedal? Is this a trail bike to send? I mean, they could do anything these days, I guess. Yeah, I mean, mine would kind of be the trail bike with going more towards the sandy side of things, just like a tough trail bike. Um, Yeah, but I still want to be able to pedal it. And yeah, durability is going to be pretty high on my list since I'm not going to want to spend money all the time replacing broken parts. Yeah, and that means I'm guessing that you would choose aluminum over carbon. Uh, well, we're also on a budget, remember? So yeah, oh, that would be why right. I would do it. Right. I don't have anything. I like carbon frames. I like yeah. lighter bikes too, but yeah, I would definitely go aluminum if I was on a budget. So James, what would your priorities be with a trail bike? Um, I'm maybe a bit more pedally than Kaz. Um, we just don't have the vertical around where I live, like my local riding of the Surrey Hills. And yeah, I don't know the exact numbers, but probably a quarter of the size of the, the hills he rides if, you know. If, if that so that you know we don't really have the the sort of the steep steep gnarly stuff as much um but yeah i would i would go aluminium as well for budget i probably can plant my flag and say i'd, I'd definitely buy online as well yeah that's budget. a hill you're happy to die on same yeah. here i think <laughs> okay yeah uh, same with me i think i'm definitely a little more pedaling orientated than casimir kaz i know you like to pedal but uh yeah, so I'd probably end up with something hopefully a little bit lighter, but we'll see. Kaz, what would you buy? Tell me what frame you would get. How much uh, travel? Yeah, I think I'd probably get that probably that Stump Jumper Evo, the Evo alloy frame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually not that, I mean, it's expensive, but it's not crazy priced compared to even a consumer direct. Um, so yeah, I'd buy that. I'd probably Is that a 140 rear end? Yeah, it's 140. I'd, you can change the shock um, stroke a bit. I'd probably bump it up a little more travel, but... And then um, knowing you, you'd probably put a 190 millimeter Zeb up front and no. wreck it. <laughs> no, I'd, I had, when I did ride that bike a bunch, I had a 140, 160, which that, yeah. that kind of bike works really well around here. It's, you don't um, think that it's almost, in my mind, you don't think for your only bike, that would be almost too much bike or is the stuff that you're hitting? That's No, yeah, I, I regularly ride pretty technical trails, I would say. That, right. Yeah, it's, it's fine. And that bike is... Yeah, the bike's fun on mellower stuff, and it's got a little geometry adjust. Uh, right. Yeah, you can tweak it to to my liking. But yeah, I had a good time when I did ride that bike a year or yeah. two ago. So, so you get an aluminum stump jumper Evo for Casimir. What fork would you put on the front of that thing? Uh, I would go Z1, the Marzocchi Z1, just because the, the price and uh, performance ratio is very good. Yeah, I don't know the off the top of my head. I can't think of the exact price, but that that damper works well. That's a Solid rail board. damper, I think, which is closely related to Fox's original grip damper, which was yeah. damn impressive. Wasn't the rail in the Z two? I might be getting confused. I think it is just a grip damper. It's just a grip. Oh, maybe in the uh, in the Z one. They don't call it something different though, because they're a different company, even though they're the same company as Fox. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! We're not supposed to say that. <laughs> Either way, I would stick a Z1 on my stump jumper Evo and uh, be pretty happy with that. Probably, yeah, like I said, 150 mil Z1. Yeah, 
Hey, Jimmy, let's hear what UK brand you would buy. Japan <laughs> <laughs> pay um, forks? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, frame frame wise i i haven't well i haven't ridden as many bikes as you so i'm mainly going off marketing and reviews i've read as opposed to um to to ride impressions but i mean probably a common sell um yeah. the hard to say no to that eh yeah well yeah exactly fork whatever it comes with in budget like again i i you know i've not ridden as much as you guys and uh i probably wouldn't know the differences as much either so i'm, I'm generally pretty happy with whatever's on there nowadays so your approach would be more off the shelf, complete bike, pick it up, hit the trails. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, I like to be a bit weird, so I think I'm going to pick a pole stamina. <laughs> you know what's even weirder is you have no idea that that frame costs $4,100 yeah. <laughs> just for the frame. <laughs> Mr. It's Budget over here. Of, it's supposed to be cheaper. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Yeah, in a perfect world, I think I would get a 120 millimeter travel stamina. Um, I thought they were less expensive than that, Casmer. No, they had a price increase in the last six months or so, I think. Oh, shit. They're not inexpensive. Yeah. Shit. I guess I'm going to commit to that, though, and then I'm going to try to save money in other places. They make a 120 stamina? I thought it was just the one. They can. Well, Leo told me he can do anything. Okay, <laughs> so you're going to get a custom <laughs> aluminum frame on your budget bike. <laughs> you already blown Everybody your right budget. now is like, what world does Levy live in? It's not this world. <laughs> I So one of the big things with me with mountain bikes is, and I think this is because I've, I see so many of them and I'm riding a different one so often. I want something that's different. I want something that is unique. Um, and I mean, it doesn't have to be flashy, but I just want something interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. I mean, you could paint it like rattle can your budget like that, bike, and then it'll be different. Like that Trek Remedy that I had. Uh, I had an ex girlfriend Sharpie the frame with this. Yeah. I, I used towel strip, like chemical cancer, to strip the paint, and then she used a Sharpie on it to draw stuff. Like that bike that we just did yeah. something on a bike like that. But yeah, you can do that. You can use like the stuff you're supposed to like. Yeah, like grill paint and yeah, yeah. lots of things to make it oh, different man. without start- going with a custom aluminum. Yeah, I'm starting off with an expensive frame. And since I got blackballed from the industry and now I work at Tim Hortons, I mean, I have to save a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're going to sling a lot of donuts to afford that thing. Right. (laughs) Kaz is at the bagel shop, no problem getting that stump jumper. Yeah. (laughs) I think, uh, I mean, on the front end, I would also do that Z2 fork. You can't go wrong, can you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, here's a Z2, mine's Z1 because mine's burlier. Yeah, well, yeah. 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 What would you do for wheels, Kaz? I would just do some same thing, aluminum rims, hubs. It, you know, it depend what my overall budget was, but I'd like to go like if I could find a set of wheels with some DT three fifty hubs on there and aluminum rims, I'd be mm-hmm. set. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, even some no name stuff, I can Newman get away with it. Yep, new name. Yeah, Newman's not no name. They're good. Um, or Newman or Hunt. Both those companies are making pretty affordable um, wheels that have you know all their numbers like you know. Fairly quick engaging, fairly light and all that for a reasonable price. So yeah. I do something like that. Stands is the obvious one, of course, but Newman and Hunt and, and anything. Um, I mean, I've been, I've been riding all these cross-country bikes, a couple of them. We actually we have three different bikes here with specialized 1200 gram Revol wheels on it. I know we're, we're talking budget, but fuck, those would be nice to have on there. <laughs> And now you're going to have $2,500 no, wheels on your $4,000. You have a frame and wheels for six grand now. Yeah, I'm done. It's a run bike. Yeah. No, um, I would get some, I'd get some aluminum stands or Newman wheels, uh, zero issues. And 
you could pull the dents out of them. I just, this weekend, I pulled some dents out of a buddy's stand wheels and they sealed up, good to go, and he's back on the road. You guys don't seem um, kind of that fussy with wheels as you might be with with maybe other components. Um, are we at a stage where, you know, a, a set of aluminium rims from any sort of decent name brand is, is going to be good to go? I think, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, it's just they are sort of a disposable item. You know, you're eventually those rims are going to get dented or just not usable. So if you kind of start with some decent hubs, something that you can replace the bearings and that have, you know, moderately quick engagement. I'm not, I'm also not super hung up on having like the absolute fastest engaging hub. I think somewhere in the middle of the road works well for me. So, so yeah, I'm not as picky about wheels as uh, other components. Yeah. Same here. I think, especially if we're talking aluminum, I just want to be able to replace the rim with the same rim very easily and quickly and inexpensively. Um, and same with Kaz. I'm not super fussed about hubs. I don't, the engagement thing. I want them really loud though. That's that's a really I don't want thing. them loud. I'll quiet them down. Even you get those, even the fastest engaging fancy hubs, I'll quiet them down so they're <gasps> I love, silent. Those, I love sitting behind somebody and coasting and they could hear that like No, I turn it off. The even those hydro hubs. <laughs> yeah. I make the hydro hubs so they're just dead quiet. Oh, mine are so loud. No, I can't stand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about drivetrain, Kaz? Are you a SRAM or Shimano guy? And uh, the budget realm, I would definitely go Shimano, Dior, all the way. Yeah. Yeah, that new Dior stuff I keep talking about. I feel like I mentioned it every podcast, but it, I just keep riding it and it's still working. So, so super good. impressed. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think I'm I'm right there with you too. I mean, there's with that stuff, I really don't care, to be honest. <laughs> if, we're, if it's not Axis and XTR, it all kind of works well and i'd be happy with the dior the new gx works extremely well too it's all pretty pretty good stuff yeah but the dior is more in, in price is more comparable to like sx yeah. or nx and that's true i yeah. do feel like that's where dior does win against those at least dior it is experience so dior it is dior drop or post cas uh just one of those ones that costs somewhere around 200 dollars and right. decent remote <laughs> yeah and then there's a lot that kind of all use the same wintech cartridge but um Let's see. I mean, I've had good luck with one up. They don't use a WinTech cartridge, or maybe they do, but it's their own design. I got. I can't remember. But yeah, I'm not. As long as it goes up and down and has a lot of drop, I'm good. So yeah, probably the one up though, just because you can get in a 210 millimeter drop, and I've been excited liking that mount. Would you splurge on tires, Casimir? Would you? Would you be buying hundred dollar plus tires per end? Yeah, up front, I would buy a nice kind of sticky good compound tire but out back i might go something a little bit harder just to keep it lasting longer mm-hmm. since i am on a budget um but yeah i wouldn't do like a not that there are that many no name tires but i would definitely do something like a good good maxis or schwalbe tire right i want to talk about brakes for a minute i've been having all sorts of brakes issues lately uh not consistent like you know i get a set of, I have like five different sets of SRAM brakes and five different sets of Shimano brakes. And, you know, one of them works fine and three of them are weird and one of them doesn't. And it seems like it's across both brands, these brakes, like they're, what I'm trying to get at here, when it comes to brakes, it's almost like you want the least amount of adjustments and dials. It doesn't hurt. Yeah. I'll, I mean, my ideal brakes though, do have the most adjustments and dials because I like like my ideal break of those SRAM code RSCs because they have that pad contact adjust and the lever each thing. But then I've also been spending time on the Dior, the Dior brakes. I think that they're replacements are like the M520s and those don't really have anything. And they've been working pretty well too. Yeah. 
but I think I would still, for my own trail bike, I might spend more on brakes to get the nicer higher end ones. Would you spend a thousand dollars on some Daratessimus? I would not. (laughs) Those were really nice, but I'm not going to spend a thousand (laughs) dollars. I pedaled a bike around this weekend that has a set of those. Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. The trick stuff. Yeah. We're talking about the trick stuff made in Germany brakes. They're super fancy and they do work really well, but they're also really expensive. Yeah. I think for me, for brakes, I would go for the least expensive code brakes. Zero issues, no problems. Yeah, code R's or something. They do the job. Okay, so Kaz, you have your you have your stump jumper. It's got a Dior drivetrain. Uh, it's got a set of SRAM code brakes. Uh, it's got a Z1 up front um, and some aluminum wheels from somebody with your your silly quiet hubs that don't buzz. Uh, what do you think is going to give you trouble first? And where would it make sense for you to upgrade that thing, Kaz? That's a hard year, question. Yeah, a year like, down the road, you've been beating this bike. It's like a mid-level trail bike. You want more performance. Nothing is giving you trouble, though. What would you upgrade? That's so hard. I mean, I might want to try to start knocking some weight off it. So maybe I'd go with a carbon handlebar. It's a relatively, you know, it's not the most expensive upgrade, but it does save you know, half pound or something. Yeah. Um, maybe I'd look into some carbon cranks. But again, it's, yeah. I, there's it's, really not much that I would... Because I just built this custom in my head just now, and it's perfect. Yeah, so. yeah no troubles. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't, I don't see you noticing those things on the trail, though, like the carbon handlebar, or carbon cranks. I think for me, you have this bike, you've ridden it, or if it was my bike and I've ridden it for a year, something that might make a difference on the trail, aside from tires, would be a shock, a new, a different, more adjustable shock for the back of the bike. It's not inexpensive, but if you're talking about something that actually makes a difference, you know, putting a nicer drivetrain, that's not going to do anything. And if your brakes are working fine, that's not going to do anything either. Yeah, possibly. I guess it would just depend what shock came on the bike to begin with. Um, but you know, I'm assuming it's coming with, a, you know, a Fox thing with some dials on it. <laughs> yeah, but do you think a different Fox thing with more dials is going to be better? No. Yeah. No, I don't. But I'm thinking that something from a different company might something like push do you know how much a push shock costs? i do know how much push yes. shock is <laughs> <laughs> i don't but, believe that the thousand dollars on my budget bike may be the best spent money <laughs> no of course not but when we're talking about things that are going to make a difference on the trail casimer you tell me something on your forty five hundred dollar stump jumper that you would switch out that's going to make you faster or more comfortable on this trail considering Lessons. the build Two hundred dollars right. of mountain bike lessons. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, realistically, for a lot of people, that would be better money, better spent on just getting some lessons than buying their fancy carbon wheels and other things. But it is fun to buy components and gear and things. And, you know, yeah. More power to anyone that wants to do that. But I do think some bike lessons would help people go even faster. Right. More than your switching out handlebars would. Yeah, definitely. It's it's almost like once we get to four thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, at that point. Unless you're buying 1,200 gram carbon wheels or $1,000 shocks, eh, you know, what's really going to make a difference on the trail? Yeah, as far as being instantly noticeable, it's, there's not as much uh, things that are like super drastic. But there are little things like maybe for my Dior drivetrain, I would save up some money and buy an XT shifter, just a little nicer. It would make it feel like I have, you know, the little ergonomics a little better. So a little bonus there, not that expensive. 
And after a year riding, probably time to, you know, get the fork serviced and replace the grips might have worn out, that type of thing. But overall, you know, your ideal bike is your big spender. Well, it's a budget bike. You know, ideally, you shouldn't have to replace like everything all the time. It should last you a few seasons at least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How's your pole with your 1200 gram wheels going? Uh, well, I don't have any money left over, so I have no drivetrain. So I've just like seat down and I've just been paddling it around the neighborhood. That's good. People are looking yeah. at it. That's what's important. It's shiny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. You just polish it. Yeah, you spend just, all your money on aluminum polish. Yeah, I just sit there, polish my bike. I don't actually yeah. ride it. Yeah. <laughs> I will say when I rode that pole at Whistler, um, it's like the amount of people who come up and talk to you about the bike alone is, is quite nice you get like maybe 15 people a day come and have a chat with you right quite asking, quite a nice asking you about, about it, it. Yeah. 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 yeah yeah it's good for extroverts if you're introverted it's a little harder yeah <laughs> yeah all right so there you go kaz's budget bike it's not all that exciting but i think it probably makes the most sense a whole lot more sense than mine without a drivetrain uh so james you're getting uh, an aluminum come and sell casimir you're doing the uh, stump jumper and Levy, you're working at Hort Tim Hortons trying to save more money so you can actually pedal to get a drivetrain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything yet. Let's move on to questions, James. Um, sure. Uh, so the first question comes from Oz Hook to Flat. Uh, he puts a quote uh, which we said: uh, "When electronic suspension is super cheap and super good." He wants to know what would that look like in our opinion. Uh, I'm not sure that's ever going to happen. So. We've had a live valve, a Fox live valve bike up here for the field test last year, and it's not quite ready for just like more aggressive <laughs> riding. Uh, James Wang was riding it, and he could feel that um, the suspension couldn't quite keep up to like the really rudy technical trails that we have here. So I don't think active or semi-active suspension is there yet. Um, and it's, I don't think it's ever going to be super cheap. Do you Cass? Yeah, I don't, I'd be, it's hard to imagine it being super cheap. Um, and realistically, a lot of bikes don't need it. I can see it being, you know, potentially beneficial for an XC bike, but even then you get the extra weight. So I'm just not sold on it yet, but I'm glad they're working on it and maybe they'll make a really cool system. That's yeah. I mean, might as well, you know, explore all avenues. And so this is something I know they use it for, you know, big trucks and things and it seems to work. So, yeah, we know it works. Um, some of the challenges I think are, I think Fox has got around it with their little magnetic thing, but getting, um, uh, valves that open and close fast, basically the system that works fast enough. Um, yeah, I mean, it's super neat, but I don't think it's quite ready for aggressive riding yet. Yeah. Uh, we also had a question from Vine. Uh, he's got a geometry question. He says, um, what do we define as really slack? And what does really slack look like five years from now? Are we um, are we getting to the point where bikes won't go much slacker? If we say they won't, then they will. So I'm not sure. <laughs> I think right now, I mean, really slack is 62 degrees or below, in my mind, at least. For five a years bike. from now? Well, for any bike, that would be really slack, right? Uh, what's the spurs head angle? 60... 66. It feels yeah. pretty slack for a trail bike. Mm-hmm. Um I think we won't see things get much slacker until something else changes with trail and offset and all that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, I think we'll see something else change that might let us go slacker. But until then, not sure. Five years from now, I'm picturing trail bikes around 65 degrees. I'm going to put that out there. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's fine. They already are there. 
My nar- narco optic is 65 degrees. Oh, so I'm not wrong. There we go. <laughs> no, you're just five years. You're in the present. You're not in the future oh, yet. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, guaranteed somebody five years from now is still going to be using these angles. That's true. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. All right, boys, let's move on to comment gold. Uh, the first one is from Wodge with a zero. He's from the UK, James. Do you know Wodge? Uh, I don't know. It might be uh, Prince Charles, don't know. Down at the down at the pub (laughs) he says uh claudio he's definitely lost some speed through that section split time shows he's gained over a second and then warner look at the time and then he says repeat over and over and over again i feel like that should have been read in claudio's accent so this was um this was under that amory video i think it was um a a thread about maybe world cups um without announcers is that would you watch a World Cup without announcers, or do you think they oh, had they had to? Cry? No, I like the announcers. Like, I mean, you can just mute it if you don't want to listen to it. But like, there is something when those announcers get excited, they're right there, they're watching. They're you know, it's their job is to try to make it even more engaging and exciting. So, it's yeah, I like a hard job wandering. too. It yeah, it's be, not easy yeah. to try to just talk while some guy's riding his bike down the hill yeah. and make they it interesting have, over and over. They should have microphones on every bike so we could hear that you know that raw noise, so we could just hear that more though. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, that video was ridiculous, and I do like watching those kind of like raw videos when they're done right. But yeah, World Cup, it's good to have announcers. They can just give you a little bit of backstory and things. Like, there's yeah. so many like iconic moments as well, right? Like everyone knows the Danny Hart. Like, how does he sit down with balls that big and everything like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah and that look at the time. He's got his little catchphrases. I I do like Rob and Claudio's uh, commenting. Right. Last comment. Gold is from Martin seven thirty seven. Uh, he says. 2000 Sun Radical Plus, that's Nico's bike, head angle is 67.5 degrees. 2021 Specialized Epic head angle, 67.5 degrees. Same head angle, two decades apart. Pretty interesting. One to two know, very one different bikes. bike as well. Yeah. What do you think you could descend faster on, Kaz? A 2021 Specialized Epic with a 67.5 degree head angle or Nico's Sun Radical with the same head angle? I'd like to think it'd be that Sun Radical. I mean, that more travel is going to help if it's a downhill course. There's only so far you can go with 120 miles of travel. Yeah. that I, I've been riding that epic, the Evo version. And, whew, yeah. It's, it's impressive. We're going to talk more yeah. about that in a future podcast. But yeah, I would hope that Sun Radical. Yeah. yeah. 20-year-old Levy is like, definitely that Sun Radical. Because <laughs> he remembers. <laughs> All right. That is it for episode 14 of the Pink Bike Podcast. Uh, we figured out what bikes we'd buy if, if and when we get kicked out of the bike industry. So when I'm working at Tim Hortons, I'll end up with a, a pull stamina frame and nothing else, apparently. Uh, so I'll just be walking around holding that. Casimir's going to have a stump jumper. Jimmy's going to have a come and sell. I don't think any of us are going to ride these bikes wearing sandals. All right, everybody. Take care. We'll see you next week. Bye.